0: I want to welcome everyone here who's here with us and I want to welcome those who are watching online. It's it's our privilege to be able to worship with you together. It is it's going to be an awesome experience just worshiping here with us. It's an honor to be with you. Amen. Our motto here at Thrive is don't just survive, thrive. And the way we do that is we do that summed up in three words. Grow, develop, and succeed. And the way we grow is we're growing the kingdom of God. And the way we develop is we're developing our character. And the way we succeed is we succeed by walking in the call that God has for us in our local church and in our community. And that's how you succeed. Because we're not truly successful until we're doing what God has created us to do. Amen? All right. Well, we started a series last week called Reboot. And how many of y'all know a lot of us need a reboot? You know, I mean, I play golf sometimes, or I used to, and I need a mulligan probably every hole. Maybe a few mulligans. And friends don't give friends anything higher than an eight. And I've got some good friends. Amen. But last week, in talking about rebooting, we talked about losing your cutting edge. You know, in church, what happens a lot of times is we go to church, and then we, just, we go through the motions. We get dull. And we talked about the prophet who pointed out the cutting edge when the axe head fell off into the water, and, and he put a stick on there, and, and the axe head came up, and we talked about how, how that works and how to regain our cutting edge to do the task that we're doing. And if you remember, in the story, what had happened is the guy who lost his cutting edge was in the ministry. He was doing the work of the ministry. So even if you're doing something for God, you can lose your cutting edge. Amen? So today we're going to talk about rebooting family. And that's what we're going to get into. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, I need a family reboot. I'm not talking about get another spouse or get new children or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about, so so get that out of your mind. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, God talks about family, and he also talks about relationship with himself. So relationship with God is a huge thing. But relationship with family is a huge thing. In the Old Testament, it's it's usually kind of like mother, daughter, dad, mom, and all this stuff. But in the New Testament, Jesus points out something greater. And the family that Jesus points out is the church, the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, he pointed that out greater than... The physical, biological family. See, we have things messed up because if we would get in line with God's family, it would fix our family at home. But the reason why our families at home are so messed up is because we don't, we don't get along with God's family. We're not doing it the right way. As a matter of fact, Jesus, or not Jesus, the New Testament 59 times says one another. And it, when you take a look at 59 places that he says one another, he, he must want us to do something. Amen? I'm going to go over 24 of them. And what I want you to do when you fill in your blanks and everything like that, I want you to go over it later on at home. And I want you to mark to the side, on the side, which ones you're not doing. And I don't want you to work on all of them at the same time because if you do that, you're going to fail. I want you to pick out one at a time. And it's kind of like getting rid of debt. You know, when you have debt, you start with the smallest credit card, the easiest one, you pay it off, and then you take that payment plus the payment of the other, you add to it, and eventually that next one gets paid off and it becomes a snowball effect. That's what I want you to do with these one others. And so it's time that we do a reboot on our family. Number one, value one another. In Philippians 2.3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You don't discover value until you discover family. You cannot get value when you're alone. Nobody who's alone can really get value. Because we don't have value in ourselves. As a matter of fact, society teaches us a false set of values. This is what society teaches us. Your value is based upon your career. Your value is based upon how much money you have. Your value is based upon how much power you have. Your value is based upon how good-looking you are. That's a lie. All that stuff will leave you empty. Because I know I'm really good-looking, and it hasn't helped me at all. (laughs) But the thing of it is is we can't put our value there. Where we have to put our value is we have to put our value in other people. You know, these things, these other things, they don't define us at all. Value and self-worth only comes through relationship with a family. Number two, greet one another. And that doesn't mean be a greeter at the door, hey, good to see ya, you know. What this word actually means, and it's in Romans 16, 16, what it actually means is to genuinely be excited to see your family members, your church family members, the body. You know, when you see them in Walmart, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. You know, you see them someplace, you know, you're genuinely excited. Not, oh, my gosh, there they are. You know, because you know that's what we really do, right? I mean, I put my sunglasses on when I go into the store. I might not have worn them outside. It could be hazy. But when I go into the store, I put, I put them on Why? because then I don't have to see anybody. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but it has to be genuine. Number three, be hospitable to one another. Now, hospitality, this thing right here, this will jack most people up. Because that's a lot more than greeting. What, it goes beyond the casual greeting. That means invite people over to your house. Well, I don't want to come over to my house, you know. I don't want, you know. But that's what it means. And it's right there in, in uh, what is it, First Peter 4, 9. And, and we need to have people over and honor them as guests. We need to be the most generous people on the planet. Have them over for a cup of coffee. But it doesn't stop there. Because not only does he want us to be hospitable, number four, accept one another. Romans 15, 7. It says, therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. See, Jesus accepts us just the way we are. And just because he accepts us, it doesn't mean he accepts the sin in our lives. He accepts us. See, to accept somebody, you don't have to accept what they're doing, you accept them. But the hard part for us is, we have a hard time dividing what people are doing with who they are. But that's what we're supposed to do. Remember, at the end of the day, I want you to put little lines, and, and, and if any of you are doing any of these things, kudos. Hmm. Amen. See, Jesus accepted us while we were his enemies while we were against him. And we're in the transforming process, and while we're in the transforming process, we have to learn how to accept others. And then when we accept them, number five, we have to learn how to honor one another. See, when you start honoring someone, what happens is they start seeing their self-worth, and they start seeing how valuable they are. Somebody doesn't feel value if you don't honor them. Matter of fact, if, if the church is not honoring others, you know, then what's going on is people don't really care what we have to say. The only reason why some people, not all people, there's a lot of people that don't care what I have to say, but the only, the only reason why some people care what I have to say is because I give them respect and I give them honor and I give them value for who they are. I don't think I'm better than anybody on the planet, and I don't think anybody on the planet better than me. I think we're all equal. And that's how I treat people. And, and people who know me know I'm real honest about that. That's, a, that's an open thing. And, and so we need to honor people. That's in Romans 12:10. And what I want you to do is I want you, to, when you go back, I want you to look these verses up. I want you to get the word of God on the inside. When you're working on whichever one you're working on at the time, go through that scripture, look at that scripture, and then even find other scriptures that go along with it. Get that word of God on the inside. And if you want to feel love and and value and self-worth and and all that stuff, you know, you, you kind of reap what you sow, you know? But number six, the Bible says, love one another. Romans 13, 8, it says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. All the commandments, all the law are summed up in love. Love God, love people. That's basically everything. And I'll tell you, when you really start loving people unconditionally and you really start doing this, people are going to start loving you back, and when they love you back, then you're going to start having that self-worth. You're going to start having that confidence. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't divide. It doesn't uh, break apart. Love love builds up. Love, Love puts into people, makes deposits into people, and has them grow. Love is a choice also, not a feeling. You know, so you don't walk in your backyard and step in a pile of love from your dog, you know? You don't just all of a sudden, you know, because you get a feeling when you step there. It's, <laughs> you know, so love is not a feeling. It's, it's a choice. See, when I say that I love my wife, there's sometimes I don't feel like loving her, and there's sometimes she doesn't feel like loving me. We didn't fall out of love. It's just we know love is not a feeling. It's a choice. See, we've chose to stay together through thick and thin. We've got 29, it'll be 30 years of marriage July the 9th. I was trying to get married on July the 4th so, you know, so I could remember it every year. And I tried to convince her saying, hey, everybody's celebrating our, our anniversary with, with fireworks. And she didn't buy it. I tried, though. But love one another. Love never fails. If we do these six, how powerful do you think the church would be? I mean, think about it but God doesn't stop there. God keeps going. Number seven, make your love increase for one another. So he just doesn't want us to love one another on a casual basis. He wants us to increase in love. How do I know? First Thessalonians 3.12, it says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Wow. Man, he doesn't just want us to love, he wants us to love more. You know, just so when you think that you got it made and, and you're doing the right thing, and man, I, I'm, I'm there, I'm at the top, you're not there yet. we got to go deeper. We have to give more, we have to give more. It's a transformation process because none of us are like Christ Jesus yet. We're striving to be like him. You know, people, oh, I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you know what, everybody's a hypocrite. In one way or another. Okay? We're just hypocrites that are trying not to be hypocrites. You know? that we're, we're just hypocrites trying to get our lives right. Trying to do the right thing. They're just hypocrites who just are still hypocrites. And want to stay there. I remember Patrick Sutherland one time. He told me this. I, I wrote it down. He said, God put me, Rick Becker, in his life to test his love walk. And you know what that meant? That meant, if I wasn't born again, I'd beat the heck out of you. And those of you who've seen Patrick Sutherland, minister up here from Canaan land, he's a pretty big guy. And he was bigger than that when I met him. He was like 350 or something like that. I mean, he was a big guy. You know? And the reason why he said that is because from the very first day I met him, I called him Cream Puff. Now... In a lot of places, you can get away with calling people cream puff. But in Elk Creek, Virginia, I don't know if you've heard of Elk Creek, Virginia, but in Elk Creek, Virginia, where, where men are men, you don't call them cream puffs, right? So I believe what it was is I was just a difficult person at the time. See, Because I probably shouldn't have been going around calling them cream puff. I still call him cream puff. That brings me to point number eight. Because sometimes there's going to be difficult people in our life. And so, number eight, bear with one another. Ephesians 4, 2. I don't know why God does this. Maybe he's playing a trick on me. But I run into some of the most difficult people on the planet. And I think in my head, you know, I'm trying to smile at him. I'm thinking in my head, how stupid can you be and still breathe? You know, and, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice to them, but they are difficult. Anybody ever know anybody like that? Any of you like that yourself? <laughs> All right. Honest answer. See, the thing is, is when we take a look at a difficult person, they need some time to change. And we need to give them some time. And you might be thinking, man, I've given them a lot of time already. Why haven't they changed? How much time do I give them? Well, how much time did God give you? I mean, I know people that didn't get born again until like 70s, 80s in, in life. How much time did God give them? You know, so the thing of it is, is when difficult people come into our life, we need to give them some time. That brings me to point number nine. Wait for one another. There's very few people that change overnight. See, when I got born again, it just all of a sudden, I, woo, hey, I'm over there on a cloud with little naked angel babies playing harps. No, that didn't happen. I mean, it happened on Tom and Jerry. But it didn't happen in my life. What happened in my life, I was just a born-again jerk. See, you get it, but I was still a jerk. You're married to one. Leah's married to one. You know what I'm saying? But over a process of time, I've become less of a jerk. It didn't happen overnight. You know, Leah's been waiting, and she's still waiting patiently for me to be that really perfect person. I mean, I'm a lot closer than I was. I don't don't fly off the handle like I used to. Oh, my gosh, Alexa's back there. She's like this. I mean, I would snap. I mean, you all of a sudden, I went from holy youth pastor to Satan. <sighs> you know, I mean, anger was built up on the inside of me, but it took time. It was a process. You know, you have to wait for that to happen. But the only way it can happen is you have to work on it. See, if you don't work on it, it's not going to happen. You're still going to be a jerk. Any jerk? No, don't raise your hands. See, so relationships, sometimes they can be extremely difficult. Well, how long do I wait? Isn't that a good question? Well, Peter said this. He said, forgive seven times 70, which is 490 times. But if you really read what he was saying, he said, you need to forgive 490 times of the same sin in the same day because every day starts a new day. And your 490 starts over again. So that means that person has to be like a woodpecker with sin. The same sin. It it ain't going to happen. So in other words, don't give up. Number 10. Care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. He's talking about equal concern for people. Don't have more concern over one church member over another. he said the same care. So the one that really bugs you, that woodpecker, you're to care for them just like your BFF. Now everybody knows they got to put a little check mark there because we all have to work on that one. Because there's a lot of miserable people out there that cause me misery. And I have to care for them the same. Amen? I'm not telling you I'm here yet. I can tell you I'm working on it. I'm better than I was. And that's one of the ones I'm working on. This one I don't need to work on as much. Be kind to one another because I'm usually kind to everybody. Ephesians 4.32 Ephesians 4.32 and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Now, I might not be that kind. That part I'm working on, even as Christ, because I'll be really kind, but then if all of a sudden you're ripping me apart, you're ripping my family apart, man, it is on like Donkey Kong. I'll get all WWE on you. And what we need to do is we need to make a commitment to be kind no matter what. And that's what we need to do. Back to a choice. These are choices, not feelings. See, family members, we can't change alone. We need help. We need other family members to, to speak into our life because we're all works in progress. Number 12, carry one another's burdens. Man, that's a big one right there. I mean, that's Galatians 6 two, And this is exactly what Jesus did at the cross at Calvary. He carried our burdens. He carried our sickness, our pain, our disease, our lack, our poverty, poverty. all these things. Jesus carried these things to the cross. And so what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. You know, he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. Amen? Number 13, serve one another. Galatians 5.13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, that's freedom, to do not, uh, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So since you've been set free, you have an opportunity to serve each other. And then God wants us to serve each other. As a matter of fact, leadership is based upon service. Jesus, when he was washing Peter's feet, Jesus was the leader. But he humbled himself. He was washing the feet of one of his disciples. So when you're stepping into leadership, you're not stepping up into something to control. You're stepping down into something to serve. See, as a pastor, I'm not a pastor to to make all these rules and regulations. I'm a pastor to step down, to humble myself, to show you how to serve and to teach you the word of God. If I'm not doing it, then I shouldn't be a pastor. God wants us all to do it, but I have a bigger responsibility for the position that I have in leadership. And so we step down and we serve each other. Amen? Number 14, correct one another. Now, that's what I want to do. I want to be correcting some people. You know, it's in Romans 15, 14. As a matter of fact, there's some people I want to correct right now. Iron sharpens iron, right? Right? But the truth of the matter is this, is when you correct somebody, it should be done in the right way. You, we need to correct them in love. I mean, we need to tell them. When American Idol was, was uh, really popular, people's moms should have told them they couldn't sing. It took someone like Simon Cowell, who loved them enough, to tell them they couldn't sing. And I enjoyed watching his love come out to tell them they couldn't sing. Um, but the point is this is... If we love each other, we're going to be honest with each other, and we're going to let each other know what's going on in our lives. You know, there's some people that I didn't want my kids to hang out with when they were growing up. And I used to let them know, I don't want you to hang out with that person. I loved them enough to tell them. And lo and behold, sometimes I hung out with them anyway. But I loved them enough to tell them, and later on they would find out, you know what, Dad, you were right. You know, that person wasn't the right person for me. It caused me to stumble, caused me to fall. So we need to we need to correct each other. Number 15, confess to one another. James 5, 16. And when I say confess to one another, I don't mean stand up in front of the whole church and confess your faults, okay? There's a group, a denomination church that does that. And... Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine years ago, and he was telling me that they would stand up in the church, and they would confess their sin. And he said there was a problem one time. He said one of the elders stood up, and he confessed that he had fantasies about the pastor's wife. So it it is, yeah, (laughs) that is weird, isn't it? Exactly. And I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? There's going to be problems at the OK Corral. You know, that pastor and that elder are not going to be friends anymore. He should have just really dealt with someone else instead of the whole church, maybe went to counseling or something, you know, instead of broadcasting it, you know, because now everybody's looking at this guy going, ooh. You know, I mean, he brought everybody into his dirty mind. You know, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is find somebody, get a buddy, get someone who's spiritual that you can talk to in your life, that you can open up to. And, you know, spouses, we should be opening up to each other. But, you know, sometimes men need to open up with men and women need to open up with women about different issues because there's some things women don't understand about men. And I know we don't understand women at all. But women have us figured out if you ask them. All besides that nothing box. You know, because they don't understand how we can think about absolutely nothing. And it's true. And they want to get in that nothing box with us. They can't because something will be there. And guys, we like nothing boxes, right? Okay. Number 16. Submit to one another. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was submitting himself to us. He humbled himself to us. He came to the, he came to the world. He poured out all of his divinity. He poured out everything that he had, all of his powers, and he submitted himself unto God. And he shows us true submission and humility by what he did. I wonder what the church would look like if we did all that stuff. What do you think? Look pretty good, right? You know, this is the type of church I want to be at Thrive. This type of church right here, because this is the type of church that the world is looking for. And this is the type of people the church is looking for. Because we're looking for these type of people to go out into the world to serve the world. Number 17, members to one another. And I'm not talking about the church role. As a matter of fact, church roles are ridiculous. You know, they are because people think it defines heaven or hell. And it doesn't. It's just a name on a piece of paper that says you attended a church or you're a member of a a church. I remember when I first came here, there were like 400 and some odd letters I sent out to people letting them know that if this is their church, they need to show up here and they need to financially support here. And And if that's not the case, put a little no, no, this is not my church, I will remove you. And if I don't get anything back, I will remove you. Well, I did get some things back. And they weren't nice. <laughs> you know, it was almost like I was condemning them to hell. I wasn't doing that. I was just cleaning up a roster. See, I'm not the type of person who says, we've got 400 members at our church and only 20 show up on Sunday. If you ask and say, hey, Rick, how many people how many people do you have at your church? I said, well, last Sunday we had, you know, 130 bodies in, in, in the building." You know, I mean, I'm going to tell you what the actual number is because I'm not. It, to me, it's not a competition, but that's not the members it's talking about. I'm talking about a body, arms, legs, hands, feet, and Jesus refers to us as members, and it says in this area about members in Romans 12:10, it says that we need to be 18 devoted to one another. Then it goes on and it says, in verse number 16, uh, this is your 19th point, it says, be of the same mind to one another. So as members, as the body, Jesus is the head, we're to be devoted, we're to have the same mind, and then number 20, in verse 16, it says this, live in harmony with one another. Can you imagine if we did these things? Do you know what the church would actually look like? Full. overfull. Why? Because people want to be around that. That's what, why do people not want to come to church? Because we're not doing that. We need to reboot the family. We need to reboot the church. We need to take a mulligan. That's what we need to do. Are you guys getting anything? I mean, this is really good stuff. It, uh, it was, I mean, it was eating my lunch looking at these things. I'm going, ooh, ah, mm, mm. You know what? I'm feeling this way. I'm going to let everybody else feel the same way I do. Mm. Thank you, Pastor. When we're devoted to one another, when we have the same mind, when we're in harmony with one another, then, we, then it's easy to do the next one, and that is be at peace with one another see when you have those last 3 of the members going it's easy to be at peace with someone you're in harmony with it's easy to be at peace with someone you're thinking the same thoughts you're on the same wavelength it's easy to to be in peace when you're in harmony with someone but when you're not there's no peace you can't have it but this is what god wants just think if once you got born again and you started doing this and having this, just think where marriages would be. Think where families would be. Just think if if husband and wife were devoted to each other and not devoted to anything outside of each other, besides God. God should be the center. Not devoted to your job or not devoted to all these other things, but devoted to each other. Just think how many people would... Feel their relationships, their family relationships. How many kids would be raised right? Amen? When I started in church, we used to say that we were the army of the Lord. You know, I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir, you know. And we, you know, you know and, and we we're going out and we we're going to go fight the devil. You guys remember that? He didn't create us to be the army. He created us to be the family. The war has already been won. Jesus won it 2,000 years ago. The problem you're having is we need to reboot the family right here. We need to renew our thinking with the word because the devil cannot steal anything. He does not have that authority. That's why the apostle said, don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, you give it to him. The only reason why you're jacked up is because you're giving the place to the devil and saying, okay, here you go, Mr. Devil, let's have fun. And you're miserable. Amen? All right. So he won the war, it's already done the healing that needs to take place, the, the lack, any lack in your life that needs to take place, what we need to do is we need to reboot our mind and start looking at what Christ paid for. Did Jesus pay the price for this? If he paid the price for this, then you, you get it. It's yours. Well, how do I get it? By faith, through grace. Grace is God's part. That's his ability. Faith is our part. That's believing in his ability. But the thing of it is, is we don't believe God is going to do it or wants to do it for me. Why? Because we don't have self-worth. I don't deserve it. Well, you know, you probably deserve it more now that you're born again than you did before you were born again. And he went to the cross before you were born again. He did it while we were his enemies, while we were against him. So how much more now that we're the family of God... Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He was made to be sin who knew no sin. He was made to be that sin so we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Amen? So number 22. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. 23. Build up one another. Romans 14.19. 14, uh, 14, Number 24, inspire one another to love and to good deeds. Hebrews ten twenty-four. God reveals himself in these last three words, to encourage, to build up, to inspire. When Jesus was getting ready to be baptized, God said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine if you heard that voice? And you heard God say that audibly and in front of a crowd of people, wouldn't that be awesome? Well, see, that's what God thinks about you. You are his son. You are his daughter. He is well pleased. No matter what's going on in your life, don't give up. Don't quit because he encourages us all the time. If you look at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always constantly saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And, you know, the Father, you know, he's constantly encouraging. The Trinity basically encourages itself lifts itself up, you know, puts, the Father elevated Jesus to high places. And you take a look at that. Jesus elevates the Father. The Holy Spirit elevates Jesus. And when you take a look at that in the Bible, that is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to encourage each other to be imitators as dear children of God. Let's quit giving the world hell, and let's start giving them heaven. That's what the world needs. The world needs a living, loving Jesus they don't need a stale... oh, just hateful religion. See, I was that hateful religious person. It was all rules. Rules without relationship create rebellion. But if you have a relationship, then the rule doesn't really matter, because, because you love the person, you don't want to hurt them. Now, I don't cheat on my wife. Everybody's going, thank God, yeah. Never have. And the thing of it is, it's not that I didn't have opportunity, and it's not that, hey, maybe some girls look pretty hot, but this was the deal. I love my wife, and I wouldn't want to do anything to hurt her. And if we love God, we don't want to do anything to hurt him. And when we do that, that's how, sin, that's how we stop sinning. You want to learn how to, the key to stop sinning? fall in love with God. When you fall in love with God and that love is on the inside of your heart, then all of a sudden you're not going to want to do those things. The grace of God, the power of God, the ability of God will work inside your life and turn you around. Amen.